Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's hear it for the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, he's known around the world for being one of the best podcast producers and biggest cinephiles out there, uh, also having terrible taste in friends. That's right. Casey Pegram has joined us once again for part two on the history of Topiary. You're too kind, Ben. Thanks for having me. Here's our guy. <laughs> Jeez, I don't know, man. We don't really need much preamble here. Well, I think we can... you're Noel. I'm bad. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's true. That I am, part. I, yeah, yeah, I am still I, Noel. I mean, yeah. It's a fascinating topic. Uh, I don't think I, any of us had any idea that there was this much to discuss about the surprisingly old art of topiary. Um, so let's just jump right into it, guys. What do you say? Let's do it. Yes, yes. The French tradition, I guess, kind of reached its peak under what often is the case, the Sun King himself. I mean, anytime we have something that peaks in French history, it's usually because this dude uh, had something to do with it. This is quite opulent fellow. Um, Louis the Fourteenth uh, in the Palace of Versailles, which was nothing if not maximal, but of course only had one, one toilet. One bathroom. One toilet. Insane. The richest people in in France were like, well, I'm going to go poop in the yard uh, by the topiary. The topiary, yeah. You got to make room for all the topiary. Were they still using human waste as uh, as fertilizer back then? Because that would make sense. Maybe they were like, they just didn't feel it was that. That's, that's gold right there. Don't be mm-hmm. flushing that down. Brown gold, yeah. That's right, yeah. Ver- Versailles had these 4,000-acre gardens. It was a huge. You can hear us talk about it in the history of restrooms. And they had very high standards uh, for their for how these topiary things should be cut. Uh, 1.9 million pots were always on hand 
so that the beds could be replanted overnight while the king slept and he could wake up to a surprise the next day. It's just absolutely indicative of why France had a revolution. Yeah, sure is. Maybe she didn't say let them eat cake, but the attitude of let them eat cake was pretty pervasive, right? A hundred percent, dude. And then if you go across the channel over to England, you'll see they had something called the knot garden. So they would take a bunch of herbs and they would tie them together, you know, like doing a French braid and mm-hmm. hair or something like, or a rope bridge. And then they had English yew trees, of course, because, you know, it's England. And they would also clip those down into hedges and grow them out into mazes. It was very, it was very hot time. Absolutely. And then uh, we have the Dutch entering the chat um, who, you know, if you've ever been to Amsterdam, unbelievably beautiful uh, flower fields, like gardens, really just it's like everywhere. Honestly, there's a there's a Mario Kart level for Amsterdam that was recently (laughs) added and it is just chock full of windmills and tulips. Um, But yeah, the Dutch really got a got a taste for gardening. But also we know. If you know anything about Amsterdam, um, you know that it's 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 a very packed kind of metro-type city. So space is really precious. So they had to figure out ways to maximize space. And in order to do that, they got mega precise, micro, with their calculations yeah, for these garden designs. Um, and they also, surprise, surprise, were super into topiary. Yeah, the thing is, so the Netherlands now you know, Amsterdam is a very old, very heavily developed city. Um, And if you go out, you know, there really are these picturesque tulip fields and windmills and all that. That's true. And they were always, as a country, struggling with space. In the days of their maritime trade empire, they had a very different take on topiary and ornamental gardens in general, because they had simply encountered many new species of plant life. Uh, And so they were able to flex super duper hard on this. uh, And you could go to a garden, a Dutch garden, and you would see plants and flowers that you couldn't see anywhere else in Europe, at least at this time. And so the well-to-do in England start picking and choosing the kind of stuff they want to emulate. So they're like, okay, we're going to, we like the uniformity, the grandeur, the French style. We also love, we're in love with these Dutch strong geometric patterns. And we want to get, you know, maybe one day we can get some of those fancy tulips. But this is still like the era of humanity where you would rent a pineapple to impress people at a party. Yeah. So maybe they didn't get the tulips, but they wanted to look like they they wanted people to look at their gardens and say, oh, they know about the Netherlands. That's right. Yeah. And we, you know, we certainly have uh, parallels to that. Oh, yeah. Society, people living above their means or, you know, having some sort of thing that is a status symbol or whatever that might be adorning their their home or their clothing or whatever it might be. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Exactly. They say, look at me. I'm fancy guy uh, <laughs> even though maybe you're living check to check it's 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 a it's a pretty tough situation who's way, that uh, fancy guy yeah. <laughs> who's that fancy guy with that wristwatch and a phone he can yeah. tell time twice and a default mortgage yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right so yeah we see that this you know this race to um acquire social status via topiary and specific is to your point Noel it is a uh, a, a microcosmic example of the larger 
human urge across culture to impress people based on your material possessions. And it should not be a surprise that the Tudors embrace topiary. And Henry VIII says, I'm going to go to the Romans. He goes, he hires some Italian gardeners to transform Hampton Court. He gets real deal Italian landscapers. And when a German writer named Thomas Platter visits Hampton Court during the reign of Elizabeth I, he goes nuts. We've even got a quote from him. He was really impressed, I think. That's right. He had this to say, that he beheld all manner of shapes, men and women, half-men and half-horse, sirens, serving maids with baskets, French lilies and delicate crenellations. That's a great word. Uh, all true to the life, and so cleverly and amusingly interwoven, mingled and grown together, trimmed and arranged picture-wise, that their equal would be difficult to find. Beautiful, yeah. Oh. Plus, he's also he's a writer, so he's pretty talented yeah. at that. But okay, that's how he talked too. I did it. That was a perfect impression. Yeah, we based that on YouTube recordings from his vlog. Mm -hmm. So William the Third introduces the Dutch style, and then he is the guy who commissions the Hampton Court maze around seventeen hundred. They build this. Beat me here, Casey. They build this big maze. And it's like a hearts and minds thing. It's to impress company. You know, folks, depending on where you grew up, if you grew up in the U.S., your parents might have done something similar, like uh, a small version of this, is the guest bathroom has the decorative soap that no one can touch. Or the decorative hand towels. Yeah, you know, right, yeah, right, right. Too, yeah. Oh, man, I always get so irritated. I get it. I love festivity. I like commemorating occasions. But it always irritated me as a utilitarian and a minimalist to know that there was this entire part of a hall closet that was like, we only put this stuff out during Halloween or Thanksgiving. And this yeah. is the, you know, end of the year stuff. It's just, I, I, I've just converted to like a Halloween house. So I just keep my decorations up good. all year. I add little extra touches like the pumpkins, which obviously don't last year round. But I realize I still have a giant fuzzy spider on my front porch from last Halloween. So totally I'm just fine. supplementing. I have a, a Ouija board um, welcome mat that, you know, I bought it Spirit Halloween, but that's just my welcome mat, you know? It's easy that way. Plus Halloween rules. Yeah. Plus, uh, you know, I, I said this in a, in a poem I think I have coming out, but it's always Halloween in America. You know, it has been for some time. Think about mm -hmm. it, folks. But uh, anyway, so. <laughs> but don't think too hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't depress yourself, but it is accurate. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So there's this awesome topiary, like hedge maze kind of thing going on in Hampton Court. A lot of other people see it, and various different courtiers of William III plant their own topiary at their own country houses, just like Plenty the Younger. And we know that a lot of these have been lost in time, but we also saw something that happens with any aesthetic trend or fashionable fad. Once too many people are able to do it, it loses its social utility. That's why so many otherwise highfalutin fashion houses would get mad when too many hip-hop celebrities liked their stuff. Mm-hmm. Like Burberry got mad about that. Totally. I mean, the, 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 the scarcity and exclusivity model is key. You know, that's why I like Supreme, if you go on their website, their, their stuff's always sold out because you have to buy it in the store. It's the only way. And when you, they drop something new, you know, you get it then or it's gone. And it's actually a pretty decent little way to make some money flipping that stuff if you actually live near one of those places, right. even if you're not into the, uh, the style. Yeah, and this is this happens with topiary as well. There's a really <laughs> solid argument the country life uh, folks make that as topiary became more common, as it became more of an aesthetic and increasingly less wealthy people were able to do something like it, the tide turns against topiary, especially when a guy named Joseph Addison launches a diss track about topiary in his magazine, The Spectator's. Our British gardeners, he writes in 1712, instead of honoring nature, love to deviate from it as much as possible. Our trees rise in cones, globes, and pyramids. (laughs) We see the marks of the scissors upon every plant and bush. Oh, not those marks. For my own part, I would rather look upon a tree in all its luxuriancy, not a word, and diffusion of boughs and branches than when it is cut thus and trimmed into a mathematical figure. 
Uh, so this quote is interesting because like every other word is capitalized. Yes. It's yeah. like a poem or something, or I don't know. It's very, wow. It's like a, it's like a manifesto. Uh, by the way, I just wanted to add, I think Supreme should make a topiary. That's a great idea. Yeah. Just one. I'm looking at their website. Uh, 158 bucks for a hoodie is, uh, it's going to need to be a little bit more of an impressive hoodie. I agree, dude. Not to mention if you've ever been into, uh, what's it called? Uh, Balenciaga. They have one of those stores at the mall, uh, one of the fancy malls here in Atlanta. Uh, and I looked at a, a, a nondescript gray hoodie that just says Balenciaga on it in very small script, $1,000. No, thank you. It's, I'm good. It's irritating. I've been a busy little bee and I've been saving money, but I, I've been, I end up in a lot of airports. We all do. And the thing that gets me, especially when you're traveling through an international airport, is there are all these extremely high-end stores with the idea that uh, someone's going, yes, I saved up for quite a while to fly across the Pacific. And the first thing I'm going to do is impulse purchase a Rolex. I think it's largely designed for people that are just money is no object. Right, those right. Do it on a whim. You know, I always wonder, too, about, like, I think there's probably a bit in somebody's stand-up routine about luggage stores at the airport. Like, when does that ever come in handy? Yeah, in what circumstance would you be in where you'd be already at the airport and, and need to buy luggage? Because even if you were going to get another one, you'd already— How, how did you get your stuff there? Maybe right. you buy it on the front end because mm. you want to— Get souvenirs. You're leaving you the airport. When you're leaving, you buy it, and then you go, okay, we solved it. Mission accomplished. Or you break your luggage. I've I've only bought yeah. luggage at the airport twice, and once it was because we had to go Damn. get stuff, and then once it was— <laughs> You're in an elite class. No, man. You luggage at the <laughs> I'm airport. I'm in an elite class of bad planning, and okay, I did like enough. it. I No offense to those folks. They're trying to make a living, but there are so many better places to buy luggage. Well, yeah. I'll tell you one thing that, that you can't— have bad planning involved with that's topiary oh yeah because that'll come back to haunt you so really quickly will. uh in fact yeah in 1713 an english poet and satirist named alexander pope uh wrote a, a another scathing uh article uh, about you know the excesses of topiary um that he felt encapsulated uh this kind of rot you know in in his part of the world uh he goes on to say uh, quote a citizen is no sooner proprietor of a couple of ewes but he entertains thoughts of erecting them into giants like those of guildhall any ladies that please may have their own effigies in myrtle or their husbands in hornbeam <laughs> imagine mm -hmm. Hornbeam, mm -hmm. uh, he adds, talking about some specific varieties of bush, tree, and shrub, uh, his particular hatred of the, quote, verdant sculpture. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. This, uh, this was basically a condemnation of the excesses of the upper crust, right? A hundred percent. And this put, this put a lot of the, like, aspirational... The people on the low end of the upper class, this put them into panic mode because they were like, holy smokes, or egads, we've spent so much money hiring this Italian gardener. We can only get Giuseppe for, you know, a couple of months out of the year. And now it's not popular. Now we look out of date and dumb. We look like squares. Or spheres, Or perhaps. cones, or pyramids, yeah. or giants. Uh, so this... This leads to a slow burn purge of, of these decorative sculptures in the 1720s, 1730s. 
the aristocrats of England are clearing out their they're paying people rather of course they're not doing it themselves they're clearing out their gardens and this is the dawn of the more natural garden it's still very manufactured but it's meant to look like an idyllic waterside by a creek or something is the idea here that that, that it's sort of becoming gauche to flaunt your wealth in this way in this way i think so yeah other flex is totally fine Fair, fair enough. But like, also, it, you never know, too. It probably make, could could make you a bit of a target. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, look at that house with all the giant, oddly shaped shrubs. Let's let's break into that place. They probably got some nice stuff. They definitely have hedge trimmers. Mm-hmm. If we need no those, <laughs> yeah. So then it's interesting because then again, the cycle repeats. It reaches a new turn in the eighteen forties. Botanist and garden writer named John Loudon says, you know, guys, enough time has passed. I miss Topiary. And he's, his voice is tremendously influential in this circle. And it's funny because it reminds, it reminds me of so many things that we have all seen in the modern day, especially with like Twitter or with Instagram or TikTok. After a certain number of decades passes, someone will go, Only 90 kids will get this. You guys, I miss cassette tapes. My question is, do you really? Because there's better stuff out there. You know what I mean? Like records, I think, are different because that technology is really solid and it conveys sound in a different way. But um, what I'm saying is nostalgia is a hell of a drug. And this, our buddy John, totally tapped in when he, (laughs) when he hit, when he hit the aristocrats with nostalgia. And so people started decorating garden rooms again. They opened them, the estates to the public. And then within a few years, boom, 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 topiaries back on top, baby. Yeah, we're in 1867, I guess, when you have this kind of shift in, uh, I guess, topiary more like kind of coming back into the forefront as like an art form. And it has to do with um, kind of a fascination with a lot of things going on in Japan, like a lot of the cultural, uh, you know, crafts and practices of the Japanese. And uh, at the World's Fair, um, this really kind of makes its debut in a way. Uh, the entire continent was basically like Beatlemania, but for <laughs> Japanese stuff. Yeah, they became a bunch of weeaboos. That's exactly right. Uh, and this included things like Japanese gardening, like these Zen-type gardens and like the very organic uh, shaped, you know, it wasn't topiary. It was almost anti-topiary, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because it was, you know, very meticulously trimmed and crafted, but it was all designed to feel as as natural as possible. Uh, And and there are these very precise pruning techniques that the Japanese uh, gardeners would use, um, some of which were not that far off from what we'd seen with some of these uh, Italian gardens. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, bonsai is like mini topiary, right? I love, love, love bonsai. I am by no means responsible enough of a person to uh, take care of a bonsai tree, much less, you know, honestly, it probably wouldn't buy one either because the really dope looking ones are they're like expensive, thousands right? of dollars. Really? They're very expensive. Holy cow. Especially well, if they're older and they're like a hardwood, 
you know? So they've got the really tiny leaves and stuff. And they're really temperamental, right? Like if you're not taking care of them correctly, you can you can lose them pretty easily, right? They're sensitive boys, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, but it's you can see how people would have been fascinated with this in Europe, especially the intentionality of the aesthetic, right? We're talking about instead of this huge chaotic growth of stuff, instead of this abundance of uniform militaristic chopped trees, there, there's like, let's have two trees and let's position them in an interesting way with perhaps a water feature. And everybody in Europe loses their minds. They're like, this is amazing. You know, it's like when the uh, beat drops in an EDM song. You know what I mean? They are, I love that part. It's the best part of the song. It's the way for it, you know? <laughs> it's the knock they were looking for. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At the same time, literature has embraced this romanticization of topiary gardens in the past. So you would see, like Lewis Carroll, write about secret gardens. You would later see books like, you know, 
the secret garden. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It also made its way into, you know, Magritte paintings and uh, the surrealist works of Salvador Dali uh, and Pablo Picasso. Uh, so this definitely the kind of, I mean, Picasso, obviously some of his work is, is more political, um, his later work especially. Uh, so I imagine that the idea of the topiary could also have significance referencing that kind of elite class, you know, of, uh, of conquerors, you know, from the past. But also, they're just freaking weird. And they're creepy. And they're like, there are ways to really make them an excellent feature in any surrealist kind of work of fiction mm-hmm. or horror or just kind of just, you know, something's not quite right. There's a sense of foreboding. Um, again, is they used to great effect in the Stephen King version. Uh, I, I guess I guess that movie is so revered in its own right. It really does feel like that's the Kubrick version. There's the Stephen King version. Uh, it does have topiaries that come to life and like stalk, you know, young uh, Danny. Yeah, and the Stephen King version also has one of my um, one of one of uh, one of the few laugh out loud parts in the novel, where at the end, spoiler by the way, for a decades old novel with multiple film and TV adaptations, uh, three to one spoiler. Toward the end, when the Overlook Hotel is fully possessed, the father, uh, the way that the kid saves the story in the book is he turns up the gas boiler, right? Uh, And Mm -hmm. the boiler explodes the overlook. At the very end, when the overlook possessing this guy realizes what's going on, uh, he says, you doesn't, you doesn't, like dare not. (laughs) Right. And I was so deep into this book. I'm a kid when I'm reading this and I'm like, is doesn't a word, you know? And I asked my dad and he was like, son, this will make sense later, but uh, Stephen King does a lot of drugs. (laughs) <laughs> so I, yeah. I didn't know it was a real word, but I guess it is. I think, yeah, I don't know. I think you might have been in the thick of his uh, his uh, cocaine days uh, when he wrote that one. <laughs> yeah, it's apparently, it's a northern U.S. contraction of dare not. Maybe it's transatlantic. But anyway, yes, you're right. This uncanny valley is, I think, Topiary can tap into that, uh, similar to when you see a mannequin and you're not expecting it, right? That's never pleasant. Sure. Though they should stay in department stores. I'm sorry, I sound like I'm advocating mannequin apartheid, but uh, if you're not expecting them, they're very strange to see oh, in the wild. 100%. Especially the ones with like the really creepily narrow waists, you know, or really elongated necks. Mm-hmm. And we know now that you can see topiary in all sorts of places, especially if you live in a large metro area. Like we just started making plans to go to the Atlanta Botanical Garden. Uh, And we know that today, topiary is, this is kind of a happy ending thing, Uh, topiary is a really cool way of beautifying common spaces. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it because I I mentioned earlier that I hadn't really ever seen any topiary, but I realized now that I certainly have when I went to Disney World (laughs) recently. um, There are quite a few of them there in the shape of, you know, your favorite characters. Disney uh, brought topiary to America's kind of mainstream with these trademark uh, trimmed little fellas. Uh, Disney actually even developed some portable topiaries uh, by fastening moss and little shrubs to steel wires, um, which was able to give them the support they needed to create these kind of cutting guides. Mm -hmm. All they had to do was just trim around the, 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 the cages, much like those rosemary contraptions you were talking about earlier. Yeah, and 
I think there's something so very cool about that. I would love to go uh, visit the botanical garden with you guys. You know, maybe we can maybe we can uh, take the lady friends and the kids. Sure. Uh, uh, and I think we can also now we can say we're looking at the world with different, more topiary sensitive eyes. So you might be surprised the next time you see a big public event, the next time you visit a park in your neck of the global woods, folks, you might be surprised by how much topiary is out there. And we can't wait to see the most stunning, most extreme, the weirdest examples. So I'm, I'm glad we made this a two-part episode. Noel, what about you? Oh, totally. Absolutely. You know, I never would have. I think this may have been my suggestion when we were talking through potential topics once on one of our, like, pitch meetings. And I think it just occurred to me that, like, there must be some interesting stuff uh, in the history of topiaries. And I had no idea it would be this much. But boy, was it ever. And huge thanks to uh, research associate extraordinaire Zach Williams, who, as always, went above and beyond. There was stuff we couldn't even get to in this two-parter on topiaries. Big, big thanks to Casey Pegram, our super producer. Man, the myth, the legend, Casey. Uh, I do hope we can make this a regular thing. Uh, are you Are you going to help us get the band back together? Absolutely. Love to. Nice. Okay. And big, big thanks, of course, to Max White Pants Williams. Big thanks to Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister, uh, who I promised Jonathan I would not publicly mock his hedge phobia, his topiary phobia. And I do want everybody to know he has one. So as, uh, of course, as always, if you have complaints, send them to our complaint department. That is Jonathan Strickland at iHeartRadio.com. Uh, big thanks to Chris Frasiotis, Yves Jeffcoat here in spirit, Gabe Luzier, Alex Williams, and Noel. Big thanks to you, man. I'm excited about the Botanical Garden. Me too, buddy. Me too. And thanks to you as well. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.